Hello listeners and welcome back to the 23rd TFA Daily World Cup podcast of our World Cup series. I'm your host Adam Scully and we have another exciting episode for you all today. Just a few TFA Daily World Cup podcasts left of the World Cup for another three and a half years. In yesterday's episode, we previewed the second semi-final between France and Morocco, which kicks off tonight UK time. And so I recommend that you go back and hear our take on the key tactical battles to look out for ahead of that match. We've also discussed the controversial debate over whether England's next manager should be English and whether country should even bother appointing non-nationals as head coaches, given the woeful history of doing so at top sides. However, in this one, we will be tactically reviewing the game which took place last night between Argentina and Croatia in what was a heavily one-sided affair. To do so, I'm joined by TFA analysts Bryant Marquez and David Astil. Just a quick one, though, before we begin. We get quite a lot of daily listeners on this podcast, yet very few, if any of you, have given us a rating. If you're listening to this, could I kindly ask you to rate the podcast? Five stars, hopefully. You are my hero. So now, without further ado, let's dive right into the analysis. David, Brian, thank you so much for joining me today to review the fourth semi-final clash, which took place yesterday between Argentina and Croatia. David, before we, we, we talk about how good Argentina were, let, let's discuss Croatia for a minute. I, I was very uh, critical, I think it's fair to say, of Croatia in this tournament. I don't think, I mean, I, I remember the deal with this podcast, it must be about two weeks ago now when the group phase was on. And I was really cynical about them as a team. I don't think they were good. I remember that first match against Morocco, they were poor. Morocco could have taken the three points there. The game against Belgium, they should have lost that game. Lukaku missed, I think it was three clear opportunities in the box. Four, sorry, I should say four. And if he scores one of them, they're out of the tournament. Yet they they, they managed to make it into a semi-final for the second consecutive year. Then they faced Argentina and they were duly punished. Do you think, do you think it's unfair to say they, they probably... Not sure didn't deserve to be in the semi-finals because ultimately tournament football, this is what can happen. Teams can ride their luck a little bit. You look at Villarreal last season in the Champions League, got to it. You know, they deserve to be there, Villarreal. I'm just saying that then they were kind of cast aside by Liverpool in the end and when when quality eventually caught up to them. So I don't want to say it, it do you think they didn't deserve to be in the semis? I think the best way to put it is do you think they were good enough? to make it to a semi-finals throughout the tournament. Yeah, I think um, I agree with you. I think they got a little bit lucky to get to this stage. Um, I mean, no one can deny they've got good players. You know, you look at your Modric, your, your um, um, Kovacic, uh, Brozovic, you know, these are the players that have been sort of highlighting European football and really kind of standing out where, they're, where they've been playing for their teams. Um, but when it comes to the national team, you think about where have they got the quality. You know, previous tournaments, they would have the likes of Mandzukic who'd be able to score goals, for example. Now you look at their team and where are the goals coming from? They've got Petkovic. Um, they've got uh, Lilaya, uh Yeah, Kramaric. Yeah. You look at that and you think they've been fairly regular scorers for their clubs, but just don't seem to be able to do it for the, uh, mm-hmm. for the national side. So that, that for me is where the worry is. Um, and you know, as I said, you, you've got the star players, but just not enough. So, yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned how you know Belgium had several chances to score against them. 
which is absolutely right, they did. And on another day, Belgium should have scored, um, should have won that game. Um, but Belgium haven't been at their best. So Croatia, in that sense, as you're right, did get let off. Um, yeah, it's, it's a difficult one because you look at Croatia and you think they should be able to do it. But just when you, you, when you delve deeper into the team, they can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it was, it was quite stark last night watching how, how poor they really were against Argentina. And as I said to you throughout the tournament, I haven't been impressed. I was constantly telling friends and family before the match that Argentina are going to walk all over the years because they just haven't been impressive. And again, like last 16 against Japan, and albeit Japan were a decent side and they managed to beat Spain and Germany, of course, but they only, I mean, they won on penalties. In the quarterfinals, again, against Brazil, Rode their luck for large parts of the game. Granted, Brazil probably weren't good enough. Lost on penalties. I was really disappointed after Brazil were knocked out. And it's their own fault. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not blaming Croatia for getting to a semi-finals. It's not their fault. But I was really annoyed and angry at Brazil because I think that would have made for a really excellent semi-final, a really highly competitive semi-final. Whereas we saw in 2018, when, again, Croatia probably rode their luck for large parts of that 2018 tournament, won several games on penalties, and then got to a final, and, and it was a really, really one-sided final against France. Again, we see last night, really one-sided. But we we won't focus on the negatives for all of the match. We will talk about Argentina now. And one man who's really surprised in this World Cup, and, and granted, I... It, so not really surprisingly, we all knew he was a good player. I think it was two days ago on the podcast I spoke to Lucas. Maybe it was yesterday. I think it was yesterday or two days ago on the podcast I spoke to Lucas about the Golden Boot race. And he said there was basically three players in the race. That was Messi, Mbappe and Olivier Giroud. But I said to him, what about the outsider, Julian Alvarez? And basically we meant something like him. He had to have an excellent last two matches in order to be in with a shout of winning the Golden Boot. And yesterday, he certainly was helped by, I suppose, the genius of Messi. But Alvarez is now on four goals. He's only one behind Messi and one behind Kylian Mbappe. So a really good final from him. You know, he could take on the crown. Talk to me about that link-up then, David, between Messi and Alvarez, because it's it's it, it's been incredible to watch throughout the tournament. It has, and and... What I think is is good to see about Argentina is the fact that they're able to um, play in different ways. I mean, you, so for example, against Saudi Arabia, Messi started up front on his own. It didn't work because Messi was having to drop back to get on the ball in, in the second half. That limited what he could do. Um, and the aim of that was to push the fullbacks further up the pitch. Um, from that game onwards, when Messi and Alvarez started to play together and started to form that partnership, we started to see that Messi could drop back because it wasn't leaving the space open up at the top because Alvarez was covering that that role. So you could see suddenly now they're able to find those links and, and able to move ball around the pitch much more. So I think when Messi and Alvarez are on the pitch together in this system that they've now developed as the tournament's gone on, that that for me is when they're at their best. And and that really came to came to the fore last night because you could see that Messi was the one trying to get on the ball, making things happen. And Alvarez was the one who was almost offering that target role. So the third goal, for example, kind of really highlighted that. You know, Messi was on doing all the hard work, getting the ball into the box. Alvarez was there when Messi tried to put it, when Messi pulled it back. And he and Alvarez, as I say, was there to, to turn it in. So you've got that partnership and you've got those sort of different styles now that are really blending. 
And that's, that really, for me, is where Argentina and, and Lionel Scaloni have really, really improved as, as the tournament's gone on. So, yeah, it, that, that for me is it. It's, it's the different styles of play that each has that just work together and just click so well. It's interesting to think of when the last time Messi would have been in such a formidable two-person partnership. I can't remember Lionel Messi ever really been playing, and maybe he did on the odd occasion, but you know, Argentina have consistently used that in the last couple of matches after the Saudi Arabia game where it was a bit of a failure. Yeah, I don't remember Messi playing in a two-man partnership before, but, he, you know, he wouldn't strike me as someone who would do well in that type of a, I suppose, a strike system, but it's it worked. He's done really well. And, and Alvarez is also reaping the fruits of playing with potentially the greatest ever. So, you know, he, he's been incredible throughout this tournament. A little part of me, though, is, again, I'm, I'm, I'm quite cynical. Um, a little part of me still has a, a bit of... That holds me, holds me back a little bit from thinking Argentina can actually go all the way. Especially if France win tonight against Morocco. I would favour France as well, heavily. I, I, I think they're the heavy favourites against Argentina. There's just a part of me with, with Argentina that thinks they maybe haven't been fully tested yet. And when they were in the tournament against the Netherlands, they really struggled. Do you think that's... Do you think I'm talking nonsense? Do you think there's something behind that? Yeah. Um, okay, so, yeah, I think... I think you, you you are right to an extent, actually, because you look at the results, and I say apart from the Saudi Arabia game, they haven't, you know, that they were tested in that one. That that really tested whether they could could mm. compete. And obviously, in the end, we found out that in that game, it was a bit beyond them. But yeah, since then they've they've grown, but they haven't really faced a, a top top side. Yeah, so and, until they came up against the Netherlands, who you know, obviously had a few, a, a, a rocky patch, but seems to be looking back to their best at the moment or certainly back to where we, where we expect them to be. Um, yeah, it's it's a really difficult one to say, really, because, I mean, I, I can now see a France-Argentina final. I'm not just saying that because obviously we know Argentina are through and France are heavy favourites against Morocco. Yeah. But I think, you know, everyone was saying a Brazil-Argentina final and then a, a, perhaps an England or France against Argentina. And obviously now it's looking like France. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how they do against France because that really will be when they've been tested properly. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's a difficult one. Yeah. Do you think as well, uh, the, the, the change, I suppose, you spoke about the Saudi Arabia game. He changed the system because there was they were largely, I suppose, exposed maybe is the fair term to use, using that back four, really. Um you know, you, you, you see how Saudi Arabia were able to just set up in that compact compact four four two block. Argentina to combat that would and we spoke about this a few days ago, we, I think it was with Bryant. They would like disperse really. They would just the, the players I think they had two players inside the opposite uh, the Saudi Arabia defensive block. Everyone else was on the outside, which just com- completely imbalances the side because you have so many wide passing uh, options. And again the reason that's not a good thing for those that maybe are wondering why is because the wide areas are the easiest part of the pitch to defend because you have the touchline as an extra defender, basically. Because when you're when you have the ball out wide, your 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 angles for passing are limited because you can only go inside, up the line, or behind, or etc. You know, you've you've maybe half of the angle options as when you're in when you're in the middle of the park facing forward. You can go back, you can go left, right, up, down, anyway. Um, 
So when you when you're constantly playing out wide, it makes it really easy for teams to defend against. Then Scaloni obviously changed the formation to a well, it was a three at the back really, and and obviously Messi and Alvarez up front and together as a partnership. And now they they look like they they genuinely can can win a World Cup. Do you think that there's more to it, or do you think that the formation change from Scaloni, who seems to be getting no credit as well, by the way, because Messi's incredible and he's doing these amazing things. So he's getting very little credit for how good Argentina have been. Do you think that the formation change is one of the the biggest reasons behind their, I suppose, the, the reason they're, they're doing so well and they could go on to win the tournament out right now? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, like I said, the, that lack of balance, as you said, in, in against Saudi Arabia seems to be amended now. They've got three at the back or four at the back if they need to play that way, but they've got the right players in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they can now play out from the back. They can go direct. They can go through the thirds. They've got options now that they didn't have in that Saudi Arabia game because the way that they were going was just... Yeah, it didn't quite work. It's just a number of things in that Saudi Arabia game just didn't quite work for them. But they seem to have amended that. And like you said, Lionel Scaloni's got absolutely zero credit for this. <laughs> but he deserves a lot because yeah. it's made these changes, him that's seen these problems. Now, there will be some, obviously, that will say, well, he should have thought about that against Saudi Arabia. But, you know, Saudi Arabia are one of those sides that can just turn up and just mm-hmm. catch you by surprise because they're not expected to win games and yet they're capable of winning games. So I think if you if you take that one out of the equation then, yeah, you can say that he deserves a lot of credit for the way that he's developed the team. And and I, I personally could see them lifting the World Cup because I just think that the, what, what they've shown is whoever they're facing and whatever situations they're facing, they have a solution. Mm. Um, whether that's going direct, whether that's getting Messi and Alvarez on the pitch together, whether that's getting one of them behind the other, whether that's playing wing-backs or full-backs, they've, they've got different ways of playing now that they've tried out and made work. So... I can see them going all the way purely because Scaloni has developed the team to be able to to match different situations. And I do hope, and I know this is controversial because everyone loves an underdog story, but I want a competitive final. And if, if people think, you know, again, that, that seems to be a controversial topic because people were giving out to me when I said I didn't want Croatia in the semifinals instead of Brazil because everyone loves an underdog story. And that's great. But Michael Cox wrote a piece on The Athletic and he's so true. And he spoke, but it was based on the group phase. But well, he says in his piece that, you know, the more upsets happen in the group phase, the less competitive the knockout stages are. And for me, as a neutral, for a World Cup that only happens every four years, I want the most competitive games possible, the most entertaining. Last night wasn't entertaining for me. Watching Messi was, obviously, because why wouldn't it be? But watching Croatia crumble 3 in the semi-final yeah. of a World Cup, it's, that, that's just personally not what I like to see. I, I, I wanted competitive football, so I hope. We do get to see France and Argentina. And as you said about the point of they seem to have a, a solution to every you know, problem that they face. I'm looking forward to seeing how they kind of face the problem of probably being inferior on paper. And I know that sounds weird because they've messy and that's fine. But just overall, I think France have a far superior squad and player by player with the exception of Messi. I'd say they've, they're pretty much favourites to, the, to win that game if France were to make it true. So I think the final will be interesting to see how they can answer that problem because that's the most difficult problem to answer because there's just there's no easy solution. You can't just you know have just get quality out of nowhere. You can't just become the superior team in terms of quality. And I do want to say as well before we, we move on to kind of looking at Croatia again. Every time I've seen a tweet about Messi on Twitter or Instagram or anything, 
it has been followed by Ronaldo slander. That kind of gets to me because I, 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 I don't care what people believe. Who people believe is the best player of all time. Does it? Does it need? Does it? I mean, does it need to be a competition? Like we're not, you know. Again, it just, it's just a personal gripe of mine. We're not twelve, you know. Every time I see Messi, oh, Messi's the best player ever. Ronaldo's this and that. I'm like, okay, great. You, Messi's the greatest of all time. That's fine. I don't think it needs to be a comparison anymore between the two. And I don't know. Maybe I'm just an old man yelling at a cloud here, but it just, it, it, it just. Oh, I think you've got a point. You could have more yeah. than more than one good player. <laughs> yeah. It's always going to be. It's always going to be people who say it's Messi. People who say it's Neymar. So people who say it's Ronaldo. People who say it's Pele. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always going to be someone who says that player is the best in the world. That player is the best ever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's just all agree to disagree. We can have players who are in a group, if you like. Yeah, and I spoke to Dean Holden before, the uh, former manager of Bristol City and the former assistant manager of Stoke City as well, he said to me that his children are always debating about Messi Ronaldo. And I said to him, my take on it is that people watch football differently. So some people will always prefer a prime Ronaldo over a prime Messi because that's the kind of player they enjoy. The same way now, you have Mbappe and, and Haaland. Some people prefer that type of brute centre-forward that doesn't really do much but just scores. Like Ruud van Nistelrooy back in the day was one of my favourite players of all time. He still is where some people prefer a more elegant player. And that's okay. It's just how you view football. You know, uh, like my grandfather will always tell me about Pele and Maradona being the greatest ever. I'll tell my grandkids about Messi and Ronaldo, but they'll have their own version. And then I'll be angry then. It's an endless cycle because football moves on. They'll be telling me, oh, Messi, Messi couldn't do it in this day and age and it'd be like 2050. And I'll have- Will I be a grand? No, I won't be a grandfather in 20-something years. <laughs> Sorry, that, the math on that didn't add up. <laughs> Oh, you want to tell us? <laughs> I, I, we'll move on though. Anyway, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm done. Yeah, I'm done. Yelling Quickly, at, I'm done yelling at the clouds. Brian, talk to me about Croatia then, because they, myself and David already, David and I, sorry, already spoke about. They weren't really up to the task anyway, and I don't think before the game even kicked off, I believe they would ever have a chance of getting through to the World Cup final. They really crumbled. Talk to me about what went wrong then, from a tactical perspective. I think Croatia had a really strange game because they went on to having had the ball in the first minutes of the match. And then when they were off the ball, Argentina were looking dangerous. Even before the penalty, I think Argentina with some long balls through through balls from Enzo and Lionel Messi, they were a bit threatening in that in that position. Croatia have a little bit of possession with that relational and functional midfield that is mm-hmm. with Kovacic and, and all that. And even were a bit transitional with Kovacic, who in the moment he had the ball, he started to run and he's very good at, at that. But then when they arrived to the box, it seems like they haven't a good striker or a like a good player in that position aside from Perisic who I think wasn't having his game and then obviously the penalty is the longest and largest chat after the match and all that if that changed the game and all but I think I think I think Argentina win anyway I don't think the penalty really changed Croatia just went before the penalty like five or ten minutes before that Argentina were comfortable defending Mm -hmm. were comfortable on the ball playing direct and then when they got the penalty they started to play 
like a possession-based team, and they play really good. I think this was a really good game by Argentina, probably one of the best in this World Cup with the likes of Fernandez, Paredes, De Paul, Molina. All these players were really, really good on possession, and, and they didn't look like separating at long distances like we were talking before uh, of from Argentina and obviously Messi was having one of his best games of his life again and it, it was it is what I told you before in this podcast that it's a different Messi totally different Messi I think it's the most similar Maradona Messi we have seen in the recent years the way he celebrated the goals against Van Gaal in a way that Riquelme did because the way it's unbelievable how he changed his personality and now he's guiding he's really guiding his team it's not only because he's talented and he's the best player of the world no it's because emotionally he's like another person in this squad and I really like the way Escaloni settled this team I agree with David when you have a team that is like to adapt to situations in a deep block, high block, mid block, and then you have the ball and then you go direct. You have a really strong team mm -hmm. mentally and physically and technically, technically, because you can't be direct and with, you can have the possession of the ball without being technical. And then Croatia, I think, you know, one of the biggest sides that this wasn't their game is when Josko Vardiol, in the first minute, he felt like it wasn't his best performance. You can see what Lovren at his side was doing. This was the game that I, I think Lovren showed off that he was being carried off by the good, biggest mm -hmm. performance of the World Cup, I think, by a centre-back that it was Vardiol. And then when Josko had this kind of player in front of him like Messi, it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same. And players like Sosa on the wing weren't that good defending. And Argentina really, really threat the side of Lovren and Juranovic because Lovren tends to go a little bit more than he has to. And that makes separation between them. And Argentina were looking for the left side to attack and they they really make threat with through passes from Enzo and one of the passes were were the pen so that that they concede before the game and we'll wrap up on on this question Zlatko Dalic was asked about how to stop Messi and again this is a question as, as old as he's been a player because he's such a dangerous menacing talent and has been throughout his career but Dalic was asked how to stop him he said he won't go man for man because essentially it's 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 pointless, he said, which is a fair point. But then he said he has a plan how to stop Messi. Brian, what was that plan? Because um, I, I tried to look out for it. And it, 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 again, I don't want to be too disrespectful because ultimately I'm just sitting here on a recording talking about it. It's much, it's much more difficult to stop Lionel Messi than, than watching it. But I really couldn't see it straightforward plan as to how they were looking to stop him. He seemed to just completely run riot. Nobody seemed to to know where he was for most part. When they did, he was he's able to easily glide past them as if he was 21 again. 
I think we can ask that to like 200 coaches in the world because they have made plans for him and they haven't worked. And even if they go Sonal or if they go Mon Marking, Croatia went a bit Sonal against Messi, trying to block the channels, block the, the spaces between the lines. But uh, it, it, when you have this kind of player, this motivated, it's unstoppable. It's really unstoppable. And then if they scored, the, if he scored even the first goal of the match, I don't, it, it, it's like. Even a hundred plans, if you made against Messi, you aren't going to win. You are not going to win. It's like making a plan for stopping Ronaldo to score in a knockout stage of a Champions League. It, it, it's just the momentum of, of his emotional state and technical state and why he, he they are the best. So, I, I mean, it, it's a logical way to stop Messi because he's a creative player that likes to go back to the to receive the ball he likes to receive them between the lines but he's on another level at this world cup it's like i don't know i don't know what france or morocco are going to do but when you prepare a game against psg now before barcelona and now argentina you just think of the game like what we are going to do with Messi because he's the key factor of what you're preparing. Well, Messi will meet one of his PSG teammates in the final, whether it be Akraf Hakimi or Kylian Mbappe himself. David, Bryant, thank you so much for joining me today. To all the listeners at home, I hope you enjoyed too and make sure to tune in tomorrow as we tactically review the second semi-final between reigning champions France and underdogs Morocco, which is set to kick off in just a few hours after we finish recording. So check back in for that and please share the podcast too as it really helps us grow. Also, please give the podcast a rating of five stars. It helps us in more ways than you know. Thank you all for listening and goodbye for now.